you, listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening to Spooky Doings Podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improv comedian from New York, and I'm just trying to keep my hooves warm because, as longtime listeners know, I hate the winter. But we're talking with some people up in the frozen environs of uh, New York who have made some snowy movies that I've really enjoyed. We're here with a couple of people from the Adams Family Film Collective, because that's what I've decided to call them. <laughs> Writers, directors, actors, producers. Y'all wear so many hats. We've got Toby, Toby Poser and John Adams on the show today. Hello, wonderful people. How are you hey, today? Hey, Rick. Hi. Super nice to see you today. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. I've, I've stumbled over your films uh, lately. And damn, I love them. And I think these are these are fun folks who make movies in ways that I, I know I don't normally get to see. And I doubt people make movies in the same way that you make movies. But before we get into that, um, with each of you, where does your love of horror begin? Uh, I'll tell you where mine began. Um, I mean, it's funny. It, it, Maybe this is the same for you. This this answer can always is is mercurial. But mm -hmm. for me, um, when I was maybe like eight years old, my favorite thing to do on Sundays was hang at home um, and watch Creature Double Feature on the television. And I would get a massive spoon of peanut butter and I would lie on my stomach and watch Creature Double Feature very low because I didn't want my mom to know. I don't think she she, she wasn't into me watching scary shit. And um, the one that really like fucked me up was called um, the something like the, the case of the um, two-headed transplant, and it, <laughs> and it it was so scary for me. And so that's 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 my first my first memory. What about you, John? I guess my first. I'm gonna go with uh, my probably my first one that really was important to me was every winter, probably around this time, uh, Channel Seven put on Monster Week. And um, we would all watch all, you know, actually, I didn't have many neighborhood. Uh, we lived in the country, but we would all uh, our neighbors were about a mile away and we'd all get together and we'd watch Godzilla, Mothra, King Kong, uh, War of the Gigantuas. And oh, and the, the, the show with the skeletons that fight the, the sailor guy. Um, Sinbad? It wasn't Sinbad. Sinbad. Um, Jason and the Argonauts? Yes. 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 Okay. So wow, that was on Monster I pulled week. that out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, very good. So that was Monster Week. And that's the first I really like. We I remember just loving that. Cool. With you mentioning Godzilla, have you seen the most recent film? Minus one? Yeah. Very much like the Godzilla that I watched as a kid. That's why we enjoyed it. Cool, cool. It, it was a lot of fun. And I'm recommending it to people that don't typically watch Godzilla. I'm like, there's a lot of heart there and some tail swipes. So it's it's a great mesh of things. And speaking of uh, a lot of heart, I, I get that that's, at least from my perception, you put a lot of that into your movies. You're making movies with your daughters uh, on your own, low to pre presumably no budget. Where did the idea come to make your family into a filmmaking collective? Where's that, where's that creative spark come from each of you? It just happened naturally, really. We all kind of had similar desires at one point about 13 years ago. But 
Mostly it was because Toby and I have always been artists. And when you're an artist, oftentimes you need to get granted permission to do things in a sense. Like if you're an actor, you need to get cast. You know, you if you're a director or whatever, you need to get production. There's all these kind of almost doors, gateways. And um, we decided to stop going through the gateways and we just decided to give ourselves permission to become filmmakers. And the kids wanted to do it too. So we all just started out together about 13 years ago. That again, that's another commendable thing because you know you mentioned 13 years ago. So your children must have been younger. And I got to give you credit for that because when I was a teenager, I didn't want to do anything with my parents. I love them, but I was a moody 90s grunge kid. I'm like, I just want to be alone in my room. If you need help with something, I'll help you. But let me, you know, do in my misery and things like that. So that's that's wonderful. And, and your daughters are very uh, talented, uh, sometimes creepy and off-putting as, as the role dictates. <laughs> well, they actually weren't teenagers yet. That might have been part of it. One of them was only six and the other was either 11, 11 or 12. Yeah. So it was like, they weren't teenagers. They were just up. We were like, you want to live in an RV and drive around the country and make a movie? And they were like, yeah. So off we went. Admittedly, I haven't seen uh, your films prior to The Deeper You Dig. Are they available anywhere? Yeah, they're all on Amazon. Cool. Yep. Amazon Prime or whatever, rental video. Yeah. Cool. So Because I, I, I want to check them out, much like because this sounds very punk rock and it's those. And when I get into an artist of any kind and I really like their stuff, I, I get in at one point and I'm like, now I need to work in both directions. Is there stuff after this? Is there stuff before this? I've got to find it. Okay. Now I'm going to get a little personal here because uh, the first film of yours I watched was The Deeper You Dig. And it's appropriate that we're watching it today. We're recording this on January 18th which uh, was the birthday of my late grandmother, who I was very close with. And the deeper you dig is her worst nightmare of one of her kids, someone she loves, not coming home and not understanding why. And, and that grief, that loss, that fear, it was something that, that she basically told me all of my life. That's what she didn't want to have happen. So where that movie come from? What was the seed that sparked this story about a mother who loses her daughter under very unusual circumstances and then with some paranormal stuff tries to find the answers to all of her questions? Well there this one there are mo there's always an undercurrent of truth and autobiography mm -hmm. in our films. This one has a few layers. Um, you know Zelda was I think 14 when we, when we shot and she's growing up and that's a that's a an age where you start to worry about your kids as they're going out into the world um so that's always there but on another personal note too I right when we started shooting and we're still kind of devising the story in many ways I um realized I had a reproductive cancer and so I had to go through a series of surgeries for that treatment and that really played into it it ran parallel to what this mother was going through. You know, while Ivy, the character, is losing her daughter and trying to 
find some kind of tangible way to stay connected to her. I was losing my uterus and then my ovaries and, you know, and then, and that there was something very personal about that as a mother um, and losing that part of myself when I still was technically young, you know? Um, so there were a couple of different levels. And my mom is also in the film. Um, my mom plays Mrs. Minsky. So mm. that's a fun kind of trivia fact. And she too, I'm sure, had many similar fears about me, her daughter. Yeah, well, we wanted to explore that that idea that you basically mentioned so well, which is that terrifying idea of your child disappearing and you not understanding where. Like, are they alive? Are they gone? And we love the idea of searching for them in like dreams and in another world. And so it was so fun to put that together. And the best way to do that is to have like a fallen tarot reader, like a, someone who used to believe in the spirit world, who now just uses it for money and, and having to go back to the spirit world and kind of ask forgiveness. And the spirit world's and the spirit world is angry and is going to let going to let her have what she needs but gonna, but the spirit world's going to do it very cruelly so it was like a perfect setup you know like toby said our movies are autobiographies and that was an autobiography of the fears of that time like one of our daughters was off to college so you don't know what she's you know you you do worry and then the other one was 14 so she was striking out on her own and becoming independent and I'll just add too, but in, in on the exterior though, we also, and Zelda was really into this, we thought it would be really fun to do a possession tale, but where where the, the so-called victim, in this case, a teenage girl, well, um, is uh, is empowered and has agency, you know? And it was, it was sort of a strange um, reverse possession tale. We wanted the ghost to have the power and the vengeance. That, that there's a lot of richness to your movies and and uh, uh, so so to unpack it first glad you got through your 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 health issues Toby that's a wonderful thing and I empathize with that but the character Ivy as John pointed out I had a little bit of difficulty being empathetic with her because as uh, a tarot reader uh, right at the beginning of the film she's preying on the grieving so. Uh, or the grief stricken so she's she's getting a bit of a comeuppance now and that really challenges the audience to 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 empathize with her and and so your movies they're they're not easy but they're welcome <laughs> and i appreciate that um another thing that i wanted to ask when you said you were working on shooting but also trying to figure out the story because um, you're all listed as writers. Um, how does that work? Do you have a script in advance or as, as an improviser myself, are you just working it out in front of the camera and seeing where things go? We paint with the camera a lot. We work <laughs> things out as we move, but we always know the beginning. We always know the beginning, middle and end. Like we never ah. strike out like, oh, let's just start shooting a movie in the winter. Like, no, we knew like the DP digs a good example. We knew we knew the first we knew the first scene, we knew the setup, and we knew the last scene too. Like, and it was and and we also knew the meat, but we don't necessarily know the details. We let those kind of 
tell us how they want to be filmed. You know, things happen. We reshoot a lot of things. Um, like Toby's mom, remember we shot her quite a few times yeah. and we learned so much. So we know the beginning, middle and end, but the details need to be worked out. They kind of like, we like to allow them to appear in a sense, like, and to, to like work themselves out. And we need to kind of be there to catch it. If that makes sense. It sounds a little It, it, it does make sense. I'm envisioning, um, since you all co-direct, and I got questions about that, whoever is directing a scene yelling, cut, fuck yes, we got it, and then moving on to whatever's next. Um, and speaking of moving on to whatever's next, uh, since you do a lot of stuff upstate where you live, and you talked about uh, people being gatekeepers in the business, how does that work for you as uh filmmakers you know do you operate outside of the guild system you know as a IATSE union man you know I, I I like being a set dresser and a props person because you know I get some good pay but I can understand if you're just like hey family guess what uh, y'all got vacation from school we're shooting we're doing something how, how how does that work for each of you individually and collectively well, we um like the DPU digs a union film, mm -hmm. and because uh, John and I are union, but we use union and non-union actors on our ultra low budget um, agreements, and we love that because a lot of the people we love to cast, we wouldn't, we might not get um, through the union. So it's nice to be able to to work with some people who've never acted before. Sometimes they are perfect for the role, as in um, the DPU dig the two invest investigators. Mm. Um, are actually cops, you know, um, and so a lot of their dialogue were like, help us with this, you know, you're going to make this more authentic than John and I and Zelda can, and they were super helpful, and I love their roles. She was an un undercover cop in New York City, and he was a, worked for the sheriff's um, department up here. And then he went to be a state trooper, and then he was in a detective. Yeah, no, so it's like, and like the guys in the deli, the guy in the deli of the DPU dig owns that deli. Um, we, we like to just ask, our community is very supportive and really cool. And we like um, inviting people to be themselves in our films. And, and just like, like allowing a scene to be organic those investigators, we just told them what the deal was. Hey, a girl's going to be missing and you come interview this guy. It wasn't like here, memorize these lines. It was just show up and do it. And that's what they did. And we filmed it. Now, did you try to play extra sketchy as you were being questioned? <laughs> I've been questioned a lot by the cops. So I just, <laughs> I just, I just did that. <laughs> I am a cop magnet. It, it, it's an experience uh, that, that uh, you're not alone in. <laughs> yeah, so that part was easy. Another aspect of the deeper you dig uh, that I found interesting is the house that your character is working on, John. It feels like a character in and of itself. And uh, I, I got to wonder, I'm guessing that's your home or just a home that you found that you could do some stuff to uh, for the sake of camera. Uh, so, so please tell me about that house. We always have lots of ideas as a family for what we want to shoot next. And we were, when 
we were up here, we weren't making money. We actually were losing money making our films. Uh, I've always been a carpenter to pay for when art doesn't pay. So I had been hired to redo an old house from the 1880s, like strip it down, rip it down to the bare bottom and build it back. And it was a freezing cold winter. I started pulling it apart and I came home to the girls and I said, we have, we have to shoot a movie in this house because it's so beautiful. It is such an amazing character. And so that's when the deeper you dig idea hit the front burner. And we immediately started filming like in the afternoons or at lunch or at night in that house because it was a gorgeous character. I, I, I got to admire the hustle because you found a location and got paid to work. <laughs> yes, it was really, you know, that's that like that's that was that's the thing, you know, letting stories organically tell themselves and that house. Wow. And you can see the house done in Hellbender. Yep. You can. Where, where, where can, what part of Hellbender? That's, that's their house. We shot um, Hellbender. That's um, the character's house, the Hellbender's house in uh, the movie. Yes. The plan was when we first started shooting the DPU dig was, oh, this will be great because it's such a great metaphor for the completion of the possession of my character. So it's like, I'm a house, I'm working in a house. It's stripped down to the bone. And we were hoping by the end of the DPU dig, I will have finished the house and the possession will have been finished too. And it'd be this great metaphor. But any carpenters out there know that everything takes twice as long as, uh, as they think. And unfortunately, I only had the house about half done <laughs> when the end of, when we finished the DPU dig. Well, it speaks to your work that it's uh, completely unrecognizable at Hellbender. Again, yeah. admirable. You don't need no permits, um, which I'm assuming also applies to a lot of the wooded areas that you film in. You can just it it, it reminds me of Robert Rodriguez and El Mariachi guerrilla filmmaking. Get in, get out, get the shot, and uh, you're you're keeping costs down, which. I admire the hell out of that. So when when Deeper You Dig was finished, um, how do you get that in front of people's peepers to enjoy it as much as I did? This was a new experience for us. I mean, we, we immediately got into some really wonderful genre fest that we were so excited about. We premiered at Fantasia. And then in Europe, we, were, we, we premiered at Fright Fest and then Sitges. And while we were going to these festivals, um, we were just getting um, approached by some uh, sales agents and managers, and and we had a, it was a new experience talking to them, and we ended up going with MPI Media Group, which um, is connected to uh, Dark Sky Films, and so that's how we got the uh, deep you dig out there. And then something really cool out of that was Arrow in the UK wanted to do our blue and put us on their on the arrow channel and we had such a great time with them they knocked that blu-ray out of the park and um and we got and we just enjoyed working with their publicists and it was really fun so that's how that that's how we got that film out there it was the first time we didn't um self-distribute but we should do a shout out to fantasia also because um 
this was the first, like the, we sent off the DP Dick to some festivals and Fantasia Film Festival accepted us and we were blown away. And we went up there and it was the first time we really got a lot of press. And that changed the trajectory of our filmmaking. It was a real moment in time and they were a beautiful crew and Fright Fest also had a big impact on changing our careers by basically, you know, you talk about gatekeeping, they opened a door to us and allowed us, both those festivals opened a door and allowed us in a room. And, you know, once we got in the room, we, we stole the silverware. <laughs> Never snitch on yourself in, in a podcast, but you're talking figuratively, <laughs> so I get that. Again, we don't need to be questioned by the authorities anymore. <laughs> but still, wonderful. Um, which brings us to, to your next film, Hellbender, uh, which that's when I learned you have a family as well as a band. So there seems to be all kinds of artistry going on. And uh, the characters in that movie who are witch, demon, hybrid things have their band. They're out in the woods, away from everyone. The mother trying to protect the daughter from interacting with and eating people. But I wanna ask about the music first. And for Toby, the positioning of the microphone that you sing into while you're playing bass, are you channeling Lemmy from Motorhead? <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. John's like, we're going Lemmy. <laughs> nice. First time I saw Lemmy was at the Ritz with the Cro-Mags, S.O.D. and maybe Wendy O. Williams. Ooh. And um, he had that mic like that and I was like, this is so badass. And so it was so fun to get a chance to say, we love you, Lemmy. <laughs> uh, we all love Lemmy. Everyone says, you know, everything went downhill when Bowie died. I'm like, but it was Lemmy that started it. And uh, <laughs> every December, I always say, you know, on, on this day for, on, in Stoke-on-Trent, England, our savior was born. He is Lemmy Kilminster. <laughs> So, so where where's the idea for Hellbender begin to mix music with uh, carnivorous forest imps uh, that stay away from everything, and then um, disintegrating a character played by your husband uh, just for wandering a little too close? You know, th this really was a case of music um, instigating the film, which is because we. Um, there was Hellbender the band and we had gone to California to shoot a cool video for one of the songs and while shooting it and editing it well I should let you talk about that because John discovered some cool things by edits which is which is so like um it's a perfect example of of something we love which is mistakes that become your friend I'll let you take that well, yeah, there was that. There was an editing mistake that I was messing around with some stuff and something happened where I was like, oh my God, that looks so cool. And that became the whole editing process for all the visions in Hellbender. You know, they have a very psychedelic uh, look to them. And that was an editing mistake that I had to go re-figure out how I had done that mistake. And I did, and that became a big play. But I think one of the things that happened from the deeper you dig to Hellbender was people said, 
a lot with the deeper you dig, oh, I really would have loved to have seen the relationship with the mother and daughter more. And we were like, oh, well, we would love to make a film of the relationship between the mother and daughter. And we felt that the deeper you dig was super heavy. It was a little brutal and a little, a little melancholy. And we thought we would like to make a movie that has a little more fun in it. And since we've been in a band and we always have fun when we're down there rehearsing and writing songs and, and, and recording, we were like, we should just mix those two and it'll just have fun. You know, it'll just the music will just bring fun to the movie. And it did. And I would say, lastly, one of the great advantages of having music in a film is that you you can say a lot in a quick amount of time. So like a song can tell what's going on in the story quicker than a lot of talking and a lot of scenes. And so it's a real advantage to to bring the whole music thing into the into hellbender yeah and out of that video we were like wow that kind of really like spurred us into making the feature hellbender and really trying to finally like study well what the fuck is this concept of a hellbender yeah you know we had the band with this cool name where it's like well now let's really like dive deep to figure out what is this you know apex predator demon witch hybrid and it was um, it was super fun, and we, it was during the pandemic as well. So we were we were traveling a lot while shooting. It was it was an unforgettable time in our yeah, lives. Yeah, it was so beautiful. That creativity definitely helped me get through the pandemic. Not being able to perform improv sucked, but getting to do this podcast certainly helped. Um, I want to touch back on what you mentioned about mistakes uh, being gifts. It reminded me of a show that. Uh, my 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 troop spooky doings did uh where we do horror themed improv and someone talked about a ghost singing motley crew so off stage someone sang a line from mr brownstone by guns and roses and probably didn't know the difference but that gave the rest of us to sing lines from the sidelines of songs that were anything but motley crew and it played in to things so like i'm singing ozzy songs or screaming jay hawkins and and the the one of the people actually doing the scene is a music teacher so he can spot it and go no that's still you're you're not hearing go singing not the crew you're hearing everything <laughs> else and it just added and amplified things but with editing and things that you're finding out there's a lot more freaky effects in hellbender where keys are coming out of hands and and you're doing stuff digitally you're floating in the sky john and then turning into a pile of dirt um so so i'm guessing that's something that got learned between deeper you dig and here it's like well let's let's play with that let's let's set a witch on fire and so where's that balance come in between you know using the toys and still doing practical stuff like you know uh toby and, and and zelda you know spitting blood in each other's faces and mixing it with like flowers for um i guess that's a hellbender trail mix <laughs> it, it is a good one yeah that's trey Lindsay. what happened was after the dpu dig where he worked on the he did all the effects on the dpu dig which he did some beautiful effects in the dpu dig he also we're all just trying to learn we're all trying to improve every time we make another movie and that's no different for trey and he did some beautiful effects. Like you talk about the key coming out of the hand. That was something that he worked hard on and uh, did such a nice job. Trey's our 
fifth family member. And he's this beautiful artist who always says yes. He's very positive. He comes and shoots with us when we're doing effects work and just to make sure that we get the kind of right footage that he can do the best he can. And um, he's always learning and he applied a lot of the things that he learned from um, Hellbender then to our next movie, Where the Devil Roams. I mean, and, but he's just a great artist to work with. It is a wonderful thing when you find somebody that kind of brings a puzzle piece into your creative thing. And it's like, oh, that's wonderful. Because um, again, I, I always give uh, credit where credit's due in my improv show, but I end up getting the credit for it, even though I'm not the one providing it. I'm like, no, nah, let's, let's give it over to Thank you. But you know, it just makes me look better. <laughs> so I Yeah, he's, that. that's the whole thing about, you know, you always want to work with a, a team that's positive. And we have an, and, and Trey is the most positive person you could work with. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of positivity, because I find this one difficult, not so much in Hellbender, but in uh, Deeper You Dig and Where the Devil Roams, how do you maintain positivity shooting exterior in the cold? Because I've done it a few times and I'm not positive. <laughs> I get very negative. Especially if the, if I can't find the coffee or the honey wagon very quickly, I'm like, mm, I want to go home, but we're in double overtime. <laughs> it's so beautiful. That's the thing. The Catskills in the winter are so beautiful that you're kind of, I I don't you think we we get like our hands get numb, our feet get numb, everything gets numb or, or burns because it's so cold, but. It's so beautiful that it's hard not to, that joy just keeps you going. It's worth it, but you have to make sure that you just laugh a lot while you're doing it. Like yeah. yesterday, I was helping John with something outside and you know we didn't have gloves, he didn't have a coat. It was so cold. It was seven degrees. <laughs> you just have to kind of laugh at it and hope you get it right fast. <laughs> or go back and shoot it again if you didn't get what you needed. One of the things that we've definitely learned, and this is a, a good question, is blood in the cold becomes really difficult because it freezes really fast. So mm -hmm. when you have blood on your hands or you have blood anywhere on you, it freezes really fast. And then you can be in trouble pretty quick. Um, and that that's actually when it becomes troublesome, that can be hard. Sometimes we do have to, sometimes we don't get what we want because everything goes haywire and, and, you know, you're, you realize, wait a minute, I'm going to like lose my fingers if I don't get the hell out of this cold. <laughs> and so it's like, and you make sure you work with people who also are just like, you respect them, but you're like, okay, this is going to be cold, but it's for something we all are going to love. So are you game? Okay, let's go. But it's funny. We we're so much more, careful with anybody outside of the family <laughs> you know outside of the family it's always like are you okay are you okay are you okay get in the car get in the house get in the wherever stay warm meanwhile we stay outside and shoot because it's like i think it's just kind of artistic joy keeps you going and it's a good way to lead by example you're not asking anybody to do something that you wouldn't do uh yourself. oh yeah that's 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 definitely rule number one never ever ever only ask half as much from everybody else. Another cool thing about Hellbender, because for all of the, the paranormal 
uh, entities and things. There's that that universal truth that uh, lies beneath the movie that you know when kids become a certain age, they have to push against the boundaries that parents set for them. Uh, I don't have kids, but I got friends of mine that do, and I wonder if they realize that eventually their kids are going to do to them and behave in that way that they did to their parents when they were that age. It seems to me as a non-parent that some, some folks forget what they were like once they had kids and think, no, that'll never happen to me. <laughs> so so the, the, this, this young uh, character, Ivy, I believe was the name of that character, or is, is he? Oh, in Hellbender. Izzy in Hellbender. Izzy yeah. in Hellbender is, is, is pushing the boundaries that her mother set to keep her away from people because she will eat them. What can we say? We're delicious. Um, so it, it's one of the inevitable phases of life. The more you learn, the more your world can expand, the broader things can get, the fuller you become as a person. But the rules are different from Hellbender. So for for a Hellbender, rather. So what are your thoughts on that experience and how that came to be for that film? Well, I think, you know, I got a great message from someone who I don't know uh, yesterday on Facebook. And she was like, I just wanted to say, talk about Hellbender and say, you know, I really empathize with both the mother and the daughter. And I do, too. You know, um, like in many ways, this is a film about being your true self no matter whether you're top of the food chain or not. But it's also about, it's also not only a coming of age story about the daughter, the adolescent, it's, I think we're always coming of age. And I find parents too come of age. And for um, the mother, she is not following her, her true, you know, her true self, but she has reasons to, you know? And so I really empathize with, I, I like it when people say, I, I, I get what the mother feels, I get what the daughter feels. Um, you know, there's a, there was a lot of autobiography behind that too, you know. Um, I mean, sometimes parents are hypocrites. Like they'll, <laughs> you know, they're like, don't drink, but then they hide their booze and they're always drinking where they drank when they were adolescents. Like for me, I was the scene with the maggots. There was a time when I used to smoke weed and I would put it in that very jar that we shot with, the, with the maggots. You know, and those are things that, that parents, you know, everyone is imperfect. And it was fun to explore those things through the lens of horror. We really wanted to do, make something very human, but through the lens of supernatural creatures. The hypocritical parents remind me, I had a friend when I was uh, maybe about nine or 10 years old, and I'd go over to his house and I'd see his mom and she'd be there smoking a cigarette and would say to him, I don't want to hear you fucking kids cursing. And if I ever catch you smoking, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And I'm like, there's something unusual about this message. I'm not saying I disagree, but the tone doesn't feel right. (laughs) So I never started smoking, but I do cuss a lot, as our listeners know. Uh, Which brings us to your most recent film, which uh, I got very excited when I found out I could watch it on Tubi. Where the Devil Roams. Whew. <laughs> uh, another family affair, old-timey, carny folk, shell-shocked, uh, war zone doctor who can't deal with blood, his nurse who plays a tiny guitar, their daughter who can sing lovely but can't speak, 
and 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 just seeing that weird carny thing. First of all, the clown makeup in this one, which was also featured a little bit in the deeper you dig, is creepier than regular clowns, which already terrified me. So bravo. But I did have to send Toby a message as I was watching this. The primitive dentistry was the most off-putting part of that film. <laughs> With the blindfold on too, no, no less. <laughs> uh, so that's like, that's just an homage to me because my teeth are the worst. Yeah, I got up there. And it's like, I just had to do a horror scene of how I feel every time I go to the dentist. Clink! <laughs> I remember the first time I got my one of my teeth knocked out. It was a back one. And I remember um, the, the guy put the, the, like, basically the chisel in the back and was like, okay, it's, it's just going to be jarring really quick, but don't, it's the way it's supposed to feel. Bam! And I remember being like, holy crap, this is so primitive. Like there's nothing modern about this tooth being taken out. It's literally, he's knocking it out of my skull. So it was a great way to celebrate how I feel about dentistry. No, I, I understand. Teeth are our luxury bones. Uh, when I go to the dentist, I don't like any of it, but I do like the fact that I guess my mouth is a little weird and I don't react much. And my dentist and his assistant find that really off-putting that one time, like, they're drilling away and I've fallen asleep. <laughs> oh my God. But you then I, I wake up enough to, to hear them discussing some song that's playing in the office that they're trying to figure out who, what song it is and what movie it was in. And I'm there with hands in my mouth and I can't say, it's What a Feeling by Irene Cara from Flashdance. <laughs> you can't say that when you've got digits in your face. <laughs> and by the time those digits are gone, well, the moments pass. They don't need to know who sang that anymore. That's great. So this is another movie that uh, is personal to me watching it from what I'm going through now. Uh, as we said before we started recording, Toby knows this. I've been taking care of my aunt and uncle for the past couple of months. They each had uh, respective surgeries and then they caught Rona in the facilities they were staying in. So, and they're both old as fuck, but I love them and they've taken care of me. So I'm taking care of them and I'm, I'm happy to do it. But it seems like the underlying aspect of, of, of this film, aside from all the early 20th century carny murder, yeah, we, we we're all familiar with that, is that you want to take care of, of your olds. You love them. You're happy to do it. But you know where the road ends as hard as we try to prevent it. So it seems, at least from my perspective, and I'm definitely projecting, that this is a movie about trying to prevent grief for as long as you can. Wow. You're the first person yeah. actually who has said exactly one of the main themes of this movie and why we made it. Number one in a field of one. That's how I stay on top, John. <laughs> no, it's really great because we set out with that exact message, which is physically and mentally, we all, and the children or the nephews or the whoever's are left to kind of shepherd that journey and that's one of the main themes of this movie 
Yeah, this is the first time I'm getting emotional on this podcast. Thank you for that. All right. No, thank you for that. That's amazing that you called it. Uh, well, it's easy to get distracted from that theme because there's a lot of a lot of grisly murder. Um, I believe it's your daughter Lulu comes out swinging an axe, and then much like in an Argento movie, family has to like kill and do horrible stabby things to each other. And that shot uh, where 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 Toby's character stabs Lulu in the neck with a shard of, mi- shard of mirror and sees her reflection. I'm like, oh, that's that's fucking beautiful and heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, there's some specificity yeah you're, you're hitting some stuff that meant a lot to us and that also haven't been called out like i thought that that would be one of the most talked about shots no one's ever talked about it until now very cool number one in the field of one john like i said there you go <laughs> <laughs> that's how you stay the best at something do shit nobody else does that's like me i used to say you know i was first in my class i didn't say that it was from the bottom but <laughs> Ah, that, that's some Bobby Heenan type humor, and I appreciate that. Uh, speaking of Bobby Heenan, who's involved with wrestling, uh, you mentioned a demon uh, in Where the Devil Roams named Abaddon, and there's a there's a non-binary wrestler named Abaddon in uh, All Elite Wrestling, so that's where my head went when you're talking about this character. I'm like, I wonder if they know, and I wonder if they don't, and if they don't, would they be willing to check it out? So Google Abaddon if you haven't heard. Well, cannot wait. That's super cool. Uh, they are very much like if a deadite was a professional wrestler. <laughs> awesome. Wow. That's so great. A, a mad, bitey lady. <laughs> this is great. I didn't know that. I didn't either. That's super cool. Yeah, that gives you something to watch later tonight. If you're not freezing your asses off trying to film more things, you can get cozy, have a cuddle. Uh, <laughs> Get some hot chocolate. Kick some butts. It's 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 a wonderful, wonderful form of of entertainment and drama, uh, in in my opinion. Um, but also with where the devil takes you. Um, where the idea come from? I mean, was it just you wanted to deal with grief, and then like, but where did you come up with? Let's do it old timey, carnival style. And how difficult is it to get a picture car? that looks that old, but runs that well? Well, about the car, about 50 feet away, it is. It belongs <laughs> to John's dad. It's a 1931 Chevy and she's our star actress and she did not disappoint. And she put it in the family. to my grandfather and then it was given to my dad. And um, actually Zelda was, wanted to take pictures where she was Bonnie and Clyde. And so I asked my dad, hey, can we borrow your car so that Zelda could be Bonnie and Clyde? He said, sure, we took these pictures. They looked so amazing that we all looked at these pictures and we like, we have to make a black and white movie like because it just is so great. And once again, that's kind of how that came. That's one of the reasons that that happened. Also, we had fallen in love with movies like Vampire and Frankenstein and um, the black and white movie with Tatum O'Neill and her dad, Paper Paper Moon. And we were just like, it just seemed, you know, it happened. (laughs) 
You, you mentioned that because you, you do some, some black and white stuff towards the end of the movie where it's digitally looking like old timey film, but also there are other parts, some musical parts in the movie where it looks very much like a rock video from the late 90s, early 2000s. So you're, you're it seems like you shattered the box that anyone could have put filmmaking in and thought we're going to do our own fucking thing. And I, I appreciate the hell out of it. Uh, Thank you, Rick. Thanks. So I'm going to ask you for a favor uh, before we start landing this plane. Um, would you please tell your very talented daughters that uh, you talked to a fan today who would like to give them their figurative flowers as well as they're a big part of your creative process? Some applause from me, and hopefully they listen to this. Them. That is really cool. That's very important. That um, that just means the world to us because we are a wonderful unit, and we're lucky to be one. So thank you for oh, yes. that. And before we end, since you mentioned the Catskills, uh, during the pandemic, my lady and I we were looking for fun things to do that's that's safe, and she's into hiking and and nature, and I am a New York City writer. So, <laughs> but she found a place over in Socrates. Uh, and, okay. and we've stayed there quite a bit lately, but not far from there, there's a place called the Highway Drive-In in Coxsackie, where they oh, do yeah. a Dead Till Dawn festival around September, which is around our anniversary. And we've attended for a couple of years. And that was the first time I'd ever been to a drive-in uh, as a resident of Queens. So since then, and with the last drive-in, which that's another thing I want to ask before we land this plane. Um, I've gotten into the idea of pairing movies for uh, a, a night of fun or for to show friends. So would each of you please pick one of your movies and something that you'd pair it with for what you think would be an ideal viewing experience, either tonally or uh, musically or just something that you think would fit well great one this is a really cool question um i try number one in the, in the field of one i might i might want to choose i don't know basket case keeps coming up in my head because it's so much fun and it'd be really fun to see in, in a drive-in but now mm -hmm. which one to pair it with um you know what which one would you pair it with i've not seen basket case so i can't answer that question oh for, <laughs> clearly for i need to remedy that run run and watch it because it captures old new york really well yeah, yeah. i think i think i might have to to pair it with with the deep you dig i mean not the deep you dig um where the devil roams they they're not really connected but it would be a fun double header I'm going to go with something that's kind of easy and I've already mentioned it, but I just love it. And I'll tell, and I'll, I'll one aspect that I really loved about it. Um, I'm going to go with Bonnie and Clyde and where the devil roams. And what I loved about Bonnie and Clyde, I'd watched it as a kid and I went back and watched it, you know, before we made um, where the devil roams. And what I loved is that Warren Beatty's character is um, not, manly he's not like an a man he's he's a he's like emotionally stunted and sexually stunted and i thought that that was just fucking great because you know mo most producers or whatever would be like all right we're gonna do bonnie and clyde and bonnie's gonna i mean uh, clyde's gonna walk around kick ass and make love to women blah 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 you know classic stuff and i thought warren Beatty's choices in in that um were just freaking awesome 
So, and I, and I thought that that was fun that seven, you know, Maggie runs the show and seven loves her so much that he just does whatever he can to get through the mayhem. <laughs> so that's why I would pair those two. Uh, and, and there, there, there is a lot of mayhem. <laughs> um, speaking of drive-ins, uh, yesterday I watched you, you, you three collectively got to perform music on the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs and uh, and and Darcy the Mail Girl and everybody involved there. How how'd that come about, and how fun was that to sing about chopping people to pieces? Well, that was really fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it was so much fun. You know, one of the producers from um, not the funeral home who produces um, Last Drive-In, uh, Justin Martell, he, he, he also has a, a company that, and they had released um, the vinyl for Hellbender, the soundtrack for the film Hellbender. Uh, and so that's, I think, how we were connected with him. Yeah, and they were just so nice. They were just such a great team. It was just a super positive experience. We did we did music with John Brennan, and um, you know Darcy was just wonderful, and so was Joe Bob. They that was a wonderful experience. It, it so was. Yeah. I mean, my God. A um, couple of things before we land this plane. Uh, I was very delighted to be watching. Uh, the uh, fall of the house of Usher, and suddenly Toby shows up. <laughs> that was a delight too. That was so much fun to be invited to be part of that. It's yeah. such a snappy, wicked show. I love it. I was like, oh shit, I know her. And so <laughs> you're in with another, what appears to my eyes, a closely knit group of creative people. Mike Flanagan comes up with some brilliance and frequently goes to the same brilliant people to give him more brilliance. So how was that experience for you? It was so wonderful. Uh, he didn't direct that episode, but he was there, Michael Fumignari, who's the, the the cinematographer, he was directing it and he was a doll. It was just, it was so cool. And it was fun to go out to Vancouver. Mike is so supportive. Mike Flanagan is so supportive of indie filmmakers. He is just, just like a gift to the industry. He's he wonderful. Is. And I love his writing. I think he's super smart. His wife is wicked smart and cool too mm -hmm. and talented. Um, so it was, what can I say? I'm still kind of pinching myself. Yeah, I, I knew he was brilliant when I saw Dr. Sleep and thought, oh, they say you can't serve two masters, but he clearly did with that film. Uh, yeah. Paying homage to both right. King and Kubrick, which for a long time were oil and water. Um, so I guess the last thing I want to ask you before we get into our fun plugs is, is there anything you can tell our listeners about what's coming up next? Do we have anything to look forward to down the road or do you got to keep that quiet for the moment? No, there's a movie coming up very soon, right? We can say it, HH. I think so. Yeah. Um, through Shudder. Uh, we teamed up with Shudder and we made a movie called Hellhole. And it's going to be coming out. Uh, it's going to, we don't know the release date yet, but things are moving quick. It was a, a terrific experience. We filmed it in Serbia. With and, an almost entirely Serbian cast. Yep. So that's going to be happening. And it's a rock and roll monster movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I know sometimes uh, Shudder and Sam, uh, I'm blanking on his last name, Winnerman, I think it is, who's a, uh, who's the oh. programmer for Shudder will host screenings oh, yes. at um, the IFC yes. Center. So if that if that happens, uh, I, I hope to come out and, and say hi to you both in person. Oh, that Zimmerman. would be great. That would yeah, be great. Oh, definitely, yeah. It would be great to see you in person. Let's hope that that happens. Cool. And if not, who knows? Maybe one day, uh, beautiful lady and I will be back up at this weirdo house in Socrates and go to the highway, drive in, and maybe see you at some farmer's market. I don't know what you do in your personal life, but I don't. Well, my, band, my band used to play in Coxsackie, and <laughs> we have always been very careful not to reside in Coxsackie because it's got one of the biggest uh, prisons around. So They're driving there. So you don't want to get a room there. Yes. Driving there, there seems to be like some closed down Bates Motel style motel that every time we drive to the drive-in, uh, I just look at my lady I'm like, somebody, people have been murdered there. But it's never yes. been torn down. It's just just there along this one road towards the drive-in. I'm like, yep, that place has a body count. But if you're ever looking for a location to film something, you could probably get in there cheap. Well, you know, Coxsackie's also known for like a children's disease, which basically the symptoms are a rash upon the cheeks and palms of the hands. So there you go. I, I, I did learn that previously, but my juvenile mind just goes, it sounds dirty. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> but, so, you know, also on, on January 27th at Forbidden Planet in the village, we're going to be with a bunch of people from Fangoria, also from Larry Fessenden's Blackout, um, mm -hmm. the Sacrifice Game team, um, Founders Day, which is now out in theaters like since yesterday, I think. And so we're all going to be there for a signing at Forbidden Planet on Broadway and 13th on the 27th, which is going to mm -hmm. be fucking fun. It, it, it is. Planet. We recently had Jen Wexler and her husband, Sean Redlitz, on the show. They are uh, wonderful people. Jen was one of the first guests on this podcast. She's great. Mike Gingold, I've met before, uh, mm -hmm. who hosts the final exam trivia show with Ted Gagan uh, at Rock Bar in Chelsea once a month that I've been attending and just walking away, not necessarily with prizes, but with lists of new movies to see. So if you ever find yourself in the city around that time, come on in. It's a, it's a wonderful time. Um, and you know, uh, tell, tell Jen and Sean, Rick, say hi. And I don't know what I'll be up to, but if I, if I show up, uh, I'll pull my mask down and introduce myself. You know, you gotta awesome. stay safe in the big yeah. city, people breathing on all on each other. Yeah. Um, you can check out Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook. We got a show at Young Ethel's on Saturday, February 17th at 3 p.m. It's a matinee show. You can still have your New York City Saturday night after seeing some horror-themed improv and people getting all uh, stabby and killy on each other. Uh, you can check out Spooky Doings on Instagram, and I'm at Rick Guzman 718 on the Tweety. Toby, John, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a lovely chat. And I'd love to have you again sometime, anytime you like. Hopefully, maybe when How Old yeah. comes out, you can find time in your busy schedule. Because this has been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been a, an episode of first, and, and I appreciate it. And thank you both from the heart. We um, really appreciate it, too. You nailed some stuff that I've been waiting to talk about. And can't thank you enough for your attention and your yeah. awesome thoughts. You're lovely uh, in email, in person, through Zoom. It's thank you so much.
Uh, it's a love fest. I'll gladly set up a video village for you anytime if, if that happens that way. <laughs> That's all of our listeners in the meantime. Stay good, stay healthy, and stay spooky. Bye.